Section 7 of Social Life in England, 1750-1850 by F. J. Folks Jackson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Lecture 2, George Crabbe, Part 4. Crabbe had very little toleration for spiritual valetudinarians. He liked a good practical Christianity, and was a little inclined to class the over-scrupulous with the malade imaginaire. In The Gentleman Farmer, we have a cleverly told story of a man of property, a professed atheist, and an avowed enemy of priests and doctors. At last he fell ill, and his artful housekeeper, the meek Rebecca, produces a Scotch cousin, Dr. Mollet. He is so successful that Rebecca decides to allow the Reverend Mr. Wisp, a converted ostler to advise her master. Mollet and Wisp, between them, point out that it is his duty to marry Rebecca. Then the three batten happily on their victim. Mollet his body orders, Wisp his soul, and o'er his purse the lady takes control. Though Crabbe lived in the days of the French Revolution and Tom Paine, infidelity seems to have given him far less trouble than the enthusiasm of his parishioners in the learned boy we have the tale of a precocious lad such as our poet detested a mean little creature neat and docile at school to whom much could be taught because he could imitate without reflecting he thought not much indeed but what depends on pains and care was at his fingers ends as it was impossible to make such a lad into a farmer like his honest father he was sent to an office in town and picked up some up-to-date views of the Bible from a brother clerk. On his return he thus explained his views to his grandmother, much to the dear old lady's distress. I myself began to feel disturbed and to my Bible ran. I now am wiser, yet agree in this. The book has things that are not much amiss. It is a fine old work, and I protest I hate to hear it treated as a jest. The book has wisdom in it, if you look wisely upon it as another book. The father, overhearing his hopeful son, treats him to a long discourse, driven home with a cart-whip, and concluding, Teachers men honour, learners they allure, but learners teaching of contempt are sure, scorn is their certain meat and smart their only cure. I have dealt hitherto with the subject of religion as showing how Crabbe can be used to illustrate his age. For politics I may refer to the witty tale of the dumb orators, for social life to amusements in the borough, and to Clelia and Blaney in the same collection. Number 2. In the biography the son writes with much discrimination of his father's genius. Whatever truth there may be in these lines, from the learned boy disparaging order. It is certain that this insensibility to the beauty of order was a defect in his own mind, arising from what I must call his want of taste. This view of his mind is, I must add, confirmed by his remarkable indifference to almost all the proper objects of taste. He had no real love for painting, for music, for architecture, or for what a painter's eye considers as the beauties of a landscape. But he had a passion for science, 
the science of the human mind first and etc i believe that in delineation of character crabbe is an artist indeed worthy to rank with jane austen and the brontes and perhaps even more subtle than these ladies he was not without a certain cynicism and his powers of critical observation were great he draws the drunken old reprobate in the borough the magnificent sir dennis brand the gentle suffering ellen orford the university don in schools with masterly skill i can only indicate his power in this respect by a few inadequate quotations the sketches of the characters in the almshouses in the borough i commend to you as masterpieces clelia and blaney had come down in life and were without much excuse they had been jobbed into the institution by sir dennis brand and his words at the meeting of trustees throw a world of light on the baronet's character of blaney he says tis true said he the fellow's quite a brute a very beast but yet with all his sin he has a manner let the devil in of clelia with all her faults he said the woman knew how to distinguish had a manner too and as they say she is allied to some in decent station let the creature come but though these two are powerfully drawn crabbe expends more care and skill in depicting benbow who had been a jovial traitor men enjoyed the night with him the day was unemployed benbow whenever he could find an audience used to dilate on the men of might to mingle strong drink whom he had known there was squire asgill whose manor house was a disgrace and scandal to the countryside it is needless to particularize i can explain best by saying that his life was that of sir pitt crawley in his later days only he was more hospitable and generous let us see the worthy squire at his best in church his worship ever was a churchman true he held in scorn the methodistic crew may god defend the church and save the king he'd pray devoutly and divinely sing admit that he the holy day would spend as priests approved not still he was a friend much then i blame the preacher as too nice to call such trifles by the name of vice hinting though gently and with cautious speech of good example tis their trade to preach a weaker man had he been so reviled had left the place he only swore and smiled a still greater hero of benbow's was captain dowling who was ready to drink against any rival man after man they from the trial shrank and dowling ever was the last that drank but we must leave the old reprobate and go on to a far subtler delineation of character sir dennis brand to use crabbe's own words was maybe too highly placed for an author who seldom ventures above middle life to delineate it is admitted that sir dennis was a real person and the biographer withholds his name out of consideration for his family it must be remembered that crabbe's nature was both proud and sensitive and the scathing satire he expends on sir dennis was probably provoked by some real or fancied slight he is one of the trustees of the almshouses he took the office true twas beneath him but to do men good was motive never by his heart withstood 
Sir Dennis is an aristocratic prig of the first water, and Crabbe hated prigs. He is one of those men who can be, with a certain amount of truth, described as possessing all the virtues. In him all merits were decreed to meet, sincere though cautious, frank and yet discreet, just all his dealings, faithful every word, his passions master and his tempers lord. His benevolence was splendid and known to all men. He left to meaner minds the simple deed by which the houseless rest the hungry feed. His was a public bounty, vast and grand. T'was not in him to work with viewless hand. He the first lifeboat planned. To him the place is deep in debt. T'was he revived the race. Yet nobody liked him. "'Twould give me joy,' says Crabbe, "'some gracious deed to meet "'that has not called for glory in the street. "'Who felt for many could not always shun "'in some soft moment to be kind to one. "'And yet they tell us when Sir Dennis died "'that not a widow in the borough cried. Three, Perhaps it may be said that the subject of my lecture "'was after all rather a commonplace old gentleman,' and if what I have said leaves this view, it is because I have failed to convey the effect which the study of his works has left upon me. He certainly made a great impression in his time, and was hailed as a true poet in an age of poets. Nor is an age always wrong when it acclaims a man in whom posterity sees little merit. To compare Crabbe with Byron as a poet would be as absurd as to place his little stories on a level with the romances of Scott, whether in prose or verse. But in his own time men rated him very highly, and this is the more remarkable, because he was essentially a man of the eighteenth century, who achieved his reputation in the nineteenth. He saturated himself in Pope and Dryden, and the wits of a bygone age, and never conformed to the taste of his own, the romantic movement, much as he admired Scott's writings, never influenced Crabbe, nor does he seem to have been affected by the lake poets. He was simply himself, simple-minded, if sensitive, full of courage, and with a quiet dignity of his own, unworldly yet remarkably shrewd, curiously blind to the beauties of nature and of art, yet wonderfully alive to the marvels of the world and the pathos of life stern and uncompromising as a realist he lacked neither sympathy nor imagination and possessed a saving sense of descriptive humour lord thurlow said of him he's as like parson adams as twelve to a dozen by god and he has much of the winning simplicity of fielding's charming clerical creation and yet he had the elevation of character and the genius with fearless hand to tear the veil which hid the lives of the poor from their richer neighbours, to expose the cruelty, injustice, and rapacity of an age which for all its greatness was singularly callous and unsympathetic of weakness and suffering. And Crabbe may take his place not only with the poets of his time, but with the Clarksons, the Howards, the Fries, and the good men and women who succeeded in inaugurating an age of practical humanity. 
we need not grudge him the generous commendation of the greatest among his contemporary poets nature's sternest painter and her best End of section seven